Hello, I'm horror cartoonist Dennis St. John. I draw monsters and write twisted tales. As you can imagine, I was a little obsessed with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Lucky for me, so were most of my high school friends, all except one. One friend who stubbornly refused to join the Scoobies. So here we are, 20-some-odd years later. I'm teaming up with Doc Travis, John Teach Landis, and maybe a special guest or two. And we're going to make our friend, Michael Poli, watch one episode of Buffy Week until he's no longer the Buffy Virgin. Welcome to Buffy Virgin, a spoiler-free Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast. Uh, we're going to be talking breakups and junkies with Season 5, Episode 10, Into the Woods. I'm your host, monster expert, Dennis St. John. Uh, why don't you guys introduce yourself from least to most likely to leave town in a helicopter at midnight. I feel like I, 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 feel like I could do that. I'm pretty weird, yes. but yes. my name is Travis, and uh, I'm a Buffy enthusiast and angel enthusiast. It's my deal. Uh, my name is John Landis. I am pretty likely to skip town given my uh, life history, but definitely not by helicopter. <laughs> uh, more likely to hitchhike or uh, Greyhound bus out of town. Or uh, now that I live in the UK, I might have to take a black cab or something. Uh, my name is Michael. I actually routed helicopters briefly as a job, so I know how dangerous it is to be in a helicopter. Uh, Whoa. But I'm also the virgin. I've only seen Buffy up to season five, episode 10, Into the Woods. Spoiler I need to hear free. this helicopter story. Do you? Okay, here's the short version. I routed helicopters for uh, coordinating traffic uh, accidents during the Casey Anthony trial while I was living in Florida. So if you needed a helicopter, you would call the department I was in. And then sometimes you'd hear my voice on the radio. And then they threatened to put me on the helicopter a couple of times, but it never happened. And I'm happy about that because they're so scary. Oh. Because they drop altitude and stuff every once in a while. And like, they had to hold position for a long time in the heat because of this, you know, Florida. And so people would just melt in there while they held the held the camera over, you know, probably traffic fatalities. <laughs> you oh. just can't show uh, like the bodies. You can show the bags, though. But anyway, Fox News. Also, ABC. Also, whatever. It's all the one helicopter, by the way. It's just they all brand it with their own uh, logos and graphics. Uh, thank you, Mike. Was... I, can take, I can spend an hour on this, but uh, I only have a few minutes. Uh, let's move on to less. I, I, I've heard some of these stories before, and I like them. But why don't we go into uh, reactions instead? Audience reactions. Uh, so for this episode, we're going to do reactions to No Place Like Home. So starting over on YouTube, uh, Joanna Wilkinson uh, left us a really nice comment. Uh, it's taken me several weeks of binge watching your channel, but I finally caught up. I'm loving your Buffy reviews. You guys are great. I'm looking forward to more. Uh, so thank you. <laughs> uh, I, that's incredible. You caught up? Binge? That's Yeah, we, we thank you for that. That's awesome. Let's all get matching tattoos that say binge worthy. <laughs> 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 Uh, and uh, one Nelson DJ says, I like how we learn about Buffy's new powers in this episode. She can now fly for short distances and may be able to replicate after being torn in two like a flatworm. Although this test by the beast is interrupted, so we don't know for sure. <laughs> uh, and uh, Andre says, uh, in the sense of the predictions, and since we just learned that Don's just a fake construction, by the monks. I would say Don can uh, be said to not be Buffy's sister. It doesn't matter what she feels like, 
or it doesn't matter that she feels like a sister, etc. The feelings are programmed into Buffy, and she was not conceived naturally. So I would confirm this. So that's one vote on Mike's side. Uh, Sagoff9, on the other hand, says, I'm on Dennis's side regarding the Buffy does not have a sister prediction. She does now. An adopted sister, <laughs> clearly the entire metaphor, is still a sister. Uh, You're so good at reading the tone and inflection of a comment you agree with. <laughs> <laughs> and I stumble over the ones I don't agree with. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Geraint Thatcher says, uh, God-worshipping monks have godlike powers and then act really stupid in order for the plot to bring the new big bad to Sunnydale. Um, and uh, at Dingo Action says, um, this is over on Twitter, uh, I have an opinion on the divisive matter of whether Buffy has a sister, but I agree with John that the prediction won't be settled until the end of the season. Uh, and I agree. We will not settle this until the last episode of the season. But um, what I want is for all the regulars who have opinions, like at Dingo Action and uh, Sagaf9, and even, even Andre, who doesn't agree with me, uh, to send me a message through uh, Twitter. And uh, we'll take you, we'll read it and we'll take it into account for the final tally for that episode. Uh, so get those in by then. Oh, that'd be great to have some additional voters to consider on some of these predictions, as opposed to the Council of Two. <laughs> yeah, we need to court pack this. Yeah, the predictions has gotten strangely contentious and hostile recently. And uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we'll bring in some new blood, I guess. But send me a message through at Buffy Virgin Pod on Twitter uh, if you have an opinion, and we'll take it into account. All right, uh, why don't we listen to the summary? The summary. Is there anyone out there who still isn't clear? Okay, last time. This is you. And this is a vampire. And this is what happens when you engage in mutually consensual fang play to satisfy an unspecified emotional need. Any questions? <laughs> all right thank you uh let's do great lines great lines i really enjoyed when uh xander said uh no one told me anything it was right in front of my stupid xander face I don't think he even says stupid Xander face. Does he just say Xander face? Like, because Xander is just synonymous with stupid? No, I think he said stupid. Okay. Anyway, I just like the way he says Xander as though it, it also means stupid. It, <laughs> it, it works really well for me. Uh, I like Buffy's line to Riley when she says, that's all in the past. Mom's out of the woods and I'm here with you. That's all that matters. Aww. It was just like a really sweet, uh, sweet thing. I love the sketch comedy-like nature of the... Uh, this extra initiative organization, whatever they're called. Ellis is the head of it. He's got four maps on a table. And he's like, I always need bodies. I'm not going to lie. It's the real deal. High risk, low pay, seriously messy. We ship out for South America tomorrow, midnight. Awesome. It's like <laughs> total video game <laughs> worldview yeah. of this shit. I feel like Contra's about to start. I love it. <laughs> I also really like that he was like, we're not the initiative. We're not exploring them. We're the army. And I was like, I don't think you guys are the army. <laughs> right. We don't do those weird experiments. We just murder them in yeah. the ground. 
They're breeding. <laughs> I mean, this whole, whole setup is great. Anyway, I'm I'm sad the Buffy and the gang are not invited for this mission, which sounds crazy. <laughs> it, it feels like a really high quality um, full motion video cutscene. <laughs> yes, you remember if you've ever played a Sega CD game. Yes, the Sega CD That's was famous call. for having like short video clips um, to augment the reality of a video game. I was just thinking about Sega CD because of uh, all that stuff with. Um, Cyberpunk 2077 coming out and like Keanu Reeves is in the game and Keanu Reeves in a video game always reminds me of Dracula's Sega CD. Whoa! <laughs> uh, and then I love this line from Riley. May have noticed Spike? I left Reasonable about three exits back. Uh, and that's after, I think, either before or after he uh, uses the plastic st- stake to get Spike. Yes, which we definitely well, need to I talk can't, about Yes, that. we will. Yes, I can't wait. Uh, I have two Anya lines. Um, I can just hear you in private. I dislike that Anya. She's newly human and strangely literal. <laughs> and, Nobody uh, talks like that. <laughs> I like that that's setting up uh, some hostility between the two of them. I hope we get some payoff. Uh, and uh, I like this one from later in the episode. Who hasn't done stuff like that from time to time? I made this one guy spontaneous, spontaneously combust. And then he set his whole village on fire. Uh, all right, that was that. Uh, let's do kill count. The kill count. So uh, seven vampires slayed in like under a minute. Uh, one fake out spike staking and one helicopter, which is our third overall series helicopter. I don't know why that's something I'm keeping track of, but it is. Four if you count Angel. Yeah, I was going to say, is Angel, the Angel Copter count in there? We'll count that as an additional fourth. Well, if you were selling action figures, I mean, that's the Watcher Copter. Uh, <laughs> it's a completely different copter than the Initiative Copter. I guess technically def- we've only seen two. We've seen the Watcher Copter twice, once on Buffy, once, once on Angel, and the Initiative Copters twice. I'm counting this one as the Initiative one, but... Initiative slash. No, this is the army. This isn't the initiative, Mike. <laughs> it's the army. It's an, an unnamed. It's a soon to be named or never named army organization that goes after supernatural shit. It just get, fucking shoots it. <laughs> murder squad. <laughs> murder squad. Also, it's an organization that has zero concern for supernatural stuff that happens in America, but is really concerned <laughs> about the stability of Belize. I'd like that every branch of the military maybe has their own demon organization, like the National Guard is like strictly on on American soil. This is the Navy. We fight the underground, the underwater monsters, (laughs) submarines. All right, uh, let's do weird noticings and trivia. It's already gotten pretty weird. Weird noticings. Uh, so uh, at the beginning, the doctor is uh, telling the gang that uh, Joyce is uh, out of the woods and uh, everybody has a big hug and a celebration except for Giles and Xander who have that awkward like not sure if they're supposed to hug dude moment, which uh, I feel like is a real moment. And I feel like I've gotten a reputation with certain friends as like somebody who like doesn't enjoy hugs or doesn't like you shouldn't hug me because I'm like weird about it. And uh, I'm not weird about it for the record. I like being hugged. I just, I'm always worried the other person is going to think it's weird. And so I'd like, 
I'm always doing the hugs. doing that. Yeah, doing that mental calculus of like, do I have a hugging relationship with this person? And I think about it for so long that it becomes weird. But for the record, I like hugs. And John's a great hugger. I want to vouch for him. <laughs> Number one, he's a great hugger. A lot of force. You have to be ready for the force. Like you'd be surprised. That guy really has yeah. the pounds per inch dialed in. Maybe that's it. Is like you're either no hug at all or like full on like full force hug. For you guys. John's got to stay away from the gym, though, you know, because like that could get dangerous. <laughs> That's why I don't go to the gym. That's why. It's because it would be dangerous. <laughs> That's why he doesn't work out. If you have the opportunity to sedate John a little bit before a hug, go for it. <laughs> but hugging is not complex. I mean, it's, it's such like a cop out. It's such a weird gender stereotype to play on. It's not complex. People figured out hugging like 25,000 years ago. <laughs> it's, it's not a new social construct. <laughs> well, uh, I got to tell you, I watched this episode a couple of times and the Buffy and Riley like holding each other with the candles. Let's play this song forever. This night forever made me cry both times Aww. because the first time I cried because I was like, oh, they have a moment. This is. I'm so happy for this to finally get resolved because I'm starting to like Riley. And the second time, because I realized that Riley is never coming back. <laughs> and uh, that was, is just like, oh, this is it. This is the height, the the height of this relationship as uh, manifested on this show. This is that one moment of quiet that they get because their relationship is doomed. And my takeaway from the candle moment was, boy, it's nice to see that they're still buying all the candles for the show <laughs> they still are, <laughs> are making the effort and it does feel like they've saved a quite a lot of money in the past season that they really could have splurged on even more candles for this ep- for this uh for this scene like i feel it's like not enough candles um but that's just a thought and then my other thought was when did candles equal intimacy because at some point it would have just been lighting right well i guess the question is like 200 years ago right candles was all you had 200 i think it's less than i mean it's like well you had, you had i didn't put this down there was whale oil that was that was very sad i was gonna say boy when is when is whale oil gonna make a comeback as as you know something Don't that you can use that. intimacy because i feel like 200 years ago you would have gotten in trouble for using something like a candle for like an intimate moment because it's like dude you're wasting this candle i suppose like a fireplace that was still burning well, that had that has two uses. You're not going to really turn that off. You know, I mean, you're not going to put that out, right? I'm just, I'm just waxing. I'm just thinking. When about I waxing. saw this question, I didn't think it was like an actual historical question. I thought it was more like a TV cliche pointing out. But uh, this is all very interesting. Well, you need to show sex on television, and you can't. So you need all these visual ways to do it. So this, as a stand-in for sex in a puritanical culture, seems like. From the beginning, as soon as we have to show sex, we can't. We got to do other weird stuff. Candle scenes. Because, like, I think it's actually dangerous to have a bunch of candles going in your bedroom. Like, that's always been dangerous. It definitely is dangerous. A candle is great. Five candles. Whoa. Are they different parts of the room? Ugh, I don't know about that. Uh, John? <laughs> Where are we? Uh, oh, yes. So I just the thing that I felt I really related to Xander because I feel like he's ruined his new apartment with his own <laughs> belongings because uh, we saw it when he moved like right before he moved in when he got the apartment and it looked way nicer I feel like than it does now that it has a lot of his stuff that's previously from the basement 
uh, has been placed into the apartment. And I feel like it's just gone down a few levels. And I've done that to apartments myself where like it looks nice before I move in. But then <laughs> my own belongings really take it down a notch. Have you ever ruined an apartment with your own belongings? Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm now at the point where I have really nice, I have pretty nice furniture and my apartments look okay as long as I keep them clean. I definitely know that feeling. Um, hey, what's playing at the Sunnydale Multiplex? <laughs> well, Dennis, uh, there's a, so first of all, obviously, one of the films that is playing at the Sunnydale Multiplex this week is uh, MVP, Most Valuable Primate, which is the only uh, hockey playing chimpanzee movie that I know of. Um, but in addition, so if you zoom in on the uh, newspaper that you can see there, there's a few films playing, and this is a, a little bit nostalgic for me because this is right from the like moment in my life where I was really obsessed with going to the movies like every week and seeing every single thing. So I've seen all of these movies. Uh, so Billy Elliot is playing, Requiem for a Dream, The Yards is playing, uh, as well as The Contender. What's The um, Yards? Uh, it's got it's got Marky Mark in it, and it's uh, it's like a gangster movie. Oh yeah, okay. The uh, but but Requiem for a Dream is playing, which I'm assuming is the sad movie that Dawn says she does. Like, oh, that movie looks sad. I don't want to see that. And I'm oh, glad that they didn't meant, go see that. I thought she meant that the monkey movie was yeah, sad. I thought it was monkey. <laughs> no, I think the way the dialogue is structured is like, I don't want to see that. That looks sad. And then Xander, to be silly, looks at it and says, "What do you mean the the monkey hockey, playing hockey movie?" Oh, I thought I was like, I agree with Don. Watching a monkey be tortured for comedy is sad. Yeah, I don't think she should see MVP. I also do not think they should all go see Requiem for a Dream right after uh, Joyce got out of surgery. I feel like that would be a downer. It would hit the, the junkie theme of the episode, though. That's true. That's true. Can we, show, can we do a show of hands of who liked Requiem for a Dream? I mean, I not, like... Yeah, I mean, I liked it as a film. I... Yeah, wasn't like excited to go to go go get on that ride again. <laughs> for, for for the listeners, I was not forced to watch Requiem with my friends, but <laughs> I did, and it I was did, uh, nauseating. One time play Requiem for a friend in college, and he then wrote on his whiteboard a new rule: Saint John can't recommend movies. Yep. <laughs> you know, if I had to come down to it, it would be a precursor to the Kite Runner debacle. Um, <laughs> It wasn't as bad as the kite runner. Okay, I, I I wasn't scarred from Requiem for a Dream, but it definitely was like I need to vet all the who's Darinowski movies need to get like extra vetting, extra vetting. They still do. Yeah, they yes. still do. Yeah, they will always need extra vetting. So uh, I, let's talk about Buffy for a second. I love <laughs> the scene where Spike is creeping on Buffy because it is a weird and hilarious scene uh, where he is actually in Buffy's bedroom. And then there's a little bit about him wanting to see her naked. And like this scene, like, you know, when you see a scene in the movie that like makes sense logically, but like is out of touch with how the movie or shows usually present stuff. And it's like hilarious. Cause it's like organically following the thing. Like this was super funny to me, but I, I think hot take here, guys. I don't think spike belongs on this show. Um, I don't think he's adding very much. You know what? You know how we talked about our hot take of Giles maybe being, um, maybe leaving the show in some ways after season three. I don't think Spike needs to be on this show. And it's evident in this episode where there's just weird, hilarious things and him pointing out obvious shit. Uh, <laughs> and there's plenty of other characters to do that, like Xander and Willow and whatever. 
and all these wonderful characters that we love in the Scooby gang getting less screen time because Spike is getting more screen time. And I'm not upset about it right now, but I think on a rewatch, this would make me infuriated <laughs> because I would rather have Xander in the bedroom or Willow. Oh, God. Than Spike. <laughs> and I'll, Spike yeah, seems incredibly creepy, like, just because yeah. also Buffy's naked and she's like ready for Riley to come in and like it's so invasive uh and then he doesn't leave her room it's insane um, I mean the, the Sarah Michelle Gellar acting in this is so good because she goes from vulnerable to like fuck you like just like that and it's so solid like it really brings you into the scene and makes the stakes high like I stakes <laughs> yeah I mean you can't say that word right so uh it makes the it builds the tension in the scene I'm with you. I'm with you, man. I'm with you. I mean, this is a problem that that Buffy has, and a lot that a lot of series have. When they, the more, the longer they're on air, the more like ancillary characters. Like if it's an ensemble show, the more ancillary characters show up, the more screen time they get, and the less screen time is devoted to the core cast of characters. And if all the if if all the characters are are equally interesting, redeeming, uh, you know, valuable. Okay, then it just becomes a more ensemble cast. If you have super predatory, creepy male characters that get lots of screen time, it just makes you want to scream at the TV screen. Well, this is the role that Xander kind of had in the earlier seasons, but like it just hit a point with this episode where it's like, oh, we can't we don't have Xander right now because we've kind of transitioned over to Spike as the person that has all of the weird uh whatever this energy is where someone needs to comment on relationships and also know the truth about relationships uh, or show the truth in some way, it's now Spike. But Spike, like, is not the right character, and so it's, like, creepy comedy that's playing out. Versus Xander, I was like, it's more awkward. Like, it made me reflect more on myself and about the era. Like, Spike, I'm, like, not getting any of those vibes. It's just like, this is too creepy. Do we need a vampire in the show this bad? Like, I know Angel's gone. Is this, like, some prereq that they wrote into the manifesto of this show that there has to be a vampire? Anyway, that's a that's a good take. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing uh, comments from the audience about this. Yeah, please. I, I'm curious what people think, having seen it all. Uh, so on a completely unnecessary note, um, <laughs> you guys remember like a few episodes ago when I, I caught the monk uh, circling something on a map of Sunnydale and it's in close up. So I was able to like reference it against a map of Santa Barbara and actually find the real world place that he was circling on the map. So it turns out that uh, the new army monster squad in their little uh, headquarters, they have the same map pinned to the wall and it's full of marker pins. So uh, I was able to sort of uh, Photoshop that and cross-reference it against the previous map and Google Maps and figure out the real world locations of every pin on that map. That's what I spent about three, four hours this morning doing, guys. No. So if you go to buffyvirgin.com slash maps, there is a uh, custom Google map <laughs> with uh, all of these locations uh, marked. And uh, as it turns out, most of them are just people's houses. Uh, there's nothing really there, of course. Uh, but one of them, one of them, one of the small green pins in the map is an actual mortuary. And because Google Maps has this amazing thing now where people take pictures of the insides of buildings and put that on street view, you can street view walk through like insides of buildings now. You can actually walk through this mortuary, which is one of the pins on the map that the uh, Monster Squad uh, marked. That was the best thing I found. But uh, I urge people to check out buffyvirgin.com slash maps. 
Uh, wow. It, it's a complete waste of your time to look at it and of mine to create it, but uh, there it is. Wow. Hey, John, why don't you do another zoom in right now? <laughs> oh, right. Uh, well, this one barely requires a zoom. I feel like this one you might have caught uh, even in the uh, SD version. But um, at the Magic Box, uh, they're hanging up a big banner for the holiday season. And uh, it, it's kind of hard to catch, but it says, don't forget winter solstice, Hanukkah. Christmas, Kwanzaa, and Gurnanthar's Ascendants are coming. <laughs> Which is excellent. It's really nice. Could be read as a little uh, jab against uh, sort of PC culture, but I'm not choosing to read it that way because I want to like this joke. Uh, yeah. Did you do any research into Gurnanthar or anything? Uh, I Googled it. I don't think it exists beyond this episode. All right. So, um, exactly, Buffy. Tell us who are Riley's friends that you have given him the, the quote the day off to spend time with. Because I don't think he has any friends. Uh, he's got those basketball buddies. <laughs> are those friends? Or are they work up? Are, they, are those were those random people at the at like an outside basketball court though? Like they weren't necessarily friends. Like a, there has never. I mean, we've never seen like since the initiative. Riley's never like spent time with any like regular human being, like any anyone outside of the Scooby Gang. Yeah, I think right now Xander is his best friend. I think Riley's between friends right now. <laughs> uh, this just gave me the random thought that like uh, Graham is like the initiative version of Jonathan, just because like we are always pointing out Graham and Mike never knows who Graham is. Yeah, he's got Graham blindness. He's Graham negative. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Graham's going to be important later. Damn it. Or he's important now. Ugh. He's been important for a season and a half. <laughs> <laughs> he just looks like a boring male bimbo. And I, one thing I like about Graham is like they clearly cast him because he looks perfect for the part, but he like never really learned how to read his lines. No, which kind of works for the character that he always yeah. sounds like he's reading. <laughs> yeah, but it's like a lot of times, like in uh, what is it, um, Shadow, I think, or no, the the sad one. Like he's supposed to be delivering like emotional lines to Riley about like his truth, about yeah. his emotional truth, but he's like, "What do you know?" The mission's girlfriend, mission's boyfriend. <laughs> it's like, it's a shame that he was, I don't know, he was never in a Command and Conquer video game because he would be perfect for that. I mean, this might be, this, I mean, we're, what we're saying is this is a good role for him. <laughs> uh, he just, they gave him a little too many emotional lines and then I, hopefully they dropped out on that and there's fewer of those coming, moving forward. But I guess I got to make a prediction about Graham now because he's a named character that I've been ignoring. Just, just because tread lightly on that mind. prediction because he did disappear in a army helicopter. So just don't go overboard with those predictions. Thanks for the tip. All right, staying away from Graham. Maybe he's not coming back from Belize. Gotcha. Um, John? Oh, sorry. Yes. So Riley goes nuts and uh, finally stakes Spike with... What does he call it? Is this like a plastic novelty steak from like the yeah. Halloween store? Like what is plastic this Plastic wood grain looks realistic, doesn't it? <laughs> also, this is like um, a commercial break because like it ends with him being stabbed. And you're That's like, right. oh, what's going to happen? Uh, so it is, it's dramatic as fuck. But it's such a silly idea. Like why did they even make this plastic <laughs> steak? Did he like custom make it? I've got so many questions. Also like. Spike gets stabbed in the heart, right? Like, 
it it's not like a retractable stake. Like he actually dug it in. And for yeah. the rest of the episode, he's like, or the rest of that scene, he's holding his chest, presumably because he's got this open wound. Except they did no like gore effects on it at all. Like the shirt doesn't even have a hole in it. <laughs> he's just holding it, and there's no blood at all. Like he even opens up a wine bottle with his same hand, and it's not covered in blood or anything. Like I don't know. Just like I feel like. There's a metaphor there. There's a visual metaphor there of like, because the rest of the scene, Spike's like tearing into Riley, but he's being emotionally honest. So it's like his heart is bared, literally. But then right. they like aren't going for that visual. Like <laughs> they set that visual up, but they didn't deliver on it. Oh, I've got a question. So that, yeah. So immediately he starts drinking, right? So Travis. You're going to get so drunk. Medical question. If you're drinking, but... You're, you're a vampire, right? You're drinking, but your heart is not actually circulating blood because it just has just been stabbed through for, and it needs some time to heal. Would do you think you'd be able to get drunk? Would that work? I mean, presumably, presumably some blood has been flowing, right? Otherwise he can't think or talk or walk. I mean, I, I, I don't know how much the magic, I mean, don't, I mean, vampires do. Yeah, they do bleed, right? They do bleed because when yeah. they when you when you make some a vampire, they they bite the the wrist or the, you know, they make so it's like the blood does pump. A couple episodes ago, Spike was drinking his own nose blood. That's so. right. Yeah, yeah. I just think you were. I think the question is: Should you know what communicable diseases would you get from sharing a uh, a drink with a vampire? Probably not as much as you would when you're getting bitten by a vampire. But I think that's that's got a much higher rate of communicable vampiric diseases when you're getting bitten. Oh, I was going to say Giles references his Ripper days. I couldn't remember if there was a prediction related to that, but uh, I was like, Oh, I think I, I mean, I, what I want is a flashback to Ripper days. Yeah. Like so bad, but also it's like, I mean, it's like Giles has all this information, but he really like doesn't bring up, like reasonable information to Buffy. Like she's, she should be reasonably upset that he didn't tell her about that. This could in theory be going on, but I mean, there's, she's angry about other things, obviously. Yeah. It does sound like Giles still in a way is treating her like a child, a child, like a, or like a slayer who goes on missions directed by the watcher, which Mm -hmm. is like not what the relationship is supposed to be. She should, in general, know more about vampire stuff, right? Vampires, the world, demons. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, and then I was going to say, oh, yeah. This is me speaking up for faith. So Buffy burned down the, the, the gym at her first school, right? Then she blew up the abandoned science building in Sunnydale High. Then she blew up something else. The Frankenstein episode. Then... She at least blew up part of a mall with a with a with a missile or a rocket powered grenade. She blew up part of a mall, I think, at least. Did she burn down the factory that Spike? And, yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think she she's did. Got destroy a, she's the got thing. a history of arson. <laughs> and then she straight up burns down this building. There is a lot of like potential people that could be hurt from all this arson. Like there are a lot of innocent people that could have been hurt. And that, you know, it, the arson, they could have spread to other buildings, right? There could have been like a huge, a, a, a huge fire from all this, right? That, that uh, could have consumed other adjacent warehouses or buildings or whatever. Faith, 
accidentally stabbed some guy in the middle of a fight, okay? Like, fighting for her lives, she stabs this person who should not have been there, okay? And she only does that once. She, as far as I can tell, Faith didn't really burn down anything up until she went all evil or did that. She does kill um, a professor of volcanology. No, no, that's later. That's after she's been exiled and, and punished for this action, right? So she was, that's, but up until that point, I mean, Faith was kind of like a bad girl, you know, there, there were issues. But I've got to say, Buffy has done way more criminal activity than Faith did. That's all I'm saying. I, I know one's disagreeing with you. <laughs> <laughs> I know. But I, I think like it was Buffy really more. the way that Faith reacted to it. Her reaction was to double down on it. And Buffy is, you know, tries at least to basically be a, be a good person. I mean, she does walk away from fire, though. But look at this. Buffy has never shown remorse for burning down any of those things. Remember when the principal's like, you burned down the gym. And she's like, that was full of vamp mice or something. It was <laughs> asbestos. I'm, Asbestos. Which, oddly enough, doesn't burn. Yeah. It's a flame retardant. I mean, this whole setup is amazing, right? This, like, the burning down of this uh, drug den, the vampire den, right? Like, there's so much to unpack in this scene, and it happens so fast. So, can we, do you want to get into it a little bit? Yeah, let's Let's do do it. All right, so, it feels straight up 80s, right? This is, like, 80s, this is the war on drugs, as depicted in media, Forever. This is the Punisher. This is this is Nancy Reagan's. This is Nancy Reagan's. This is Nancy Reagan's. Just say no. War on drugs. This is your this is your brain on drugs. I mean, we walk in. It's instant judgment of the scene, right? It looks a certain way. I mean, it has to be unkempt, messy, lighting's bad, and there are vampires there that are visible immediately. Basically, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Poverty. It's like, oh, this is a drug den. Everyone here is. They deserve to die. They're dirty. They're outcasts. They're less than human. All terrible stereotypes. Emotionally, the show has made up its mind about the judgment of this people and then puts Riley in the den. Like on another show like a Dawson's Creek or something, this would be like, oh, they experimented with heroin or crack. I feel like not, I feel like Dawson's Creek did have something with uh, with like Adderall or did ADHD. Get into Adderall? That sounds like a pacey thing. <laughs> And then Riley's Riley's in the scene. Of course, Spike is leading him, which I love. I love how evil that is um, and remorseless. And then we we judge Riley based on that. But like, I I know we're going to talk about this in the themes because like the actual thing that's happening here is amazing. It's like this unique social consensual situation that's been created where it's okay for vampires and humans to feed or you know, feed one another coexist. in different ways, coexist, and no one's getting killed or hurt. Like, this is a good thing. And I'm not going to say, like, heroin drug houses are a good thing, but, like, our judgment of them, like, this is a weird communal space where people can get access to drugs and use drugs, and then they leave and go their separate ways, right? It's like a weird And they space. don't die. If anything, these places don't need to be burned down, which is what, you know, the show wants to do. It's like, no, they need, like, staffed up. In case there's some issues, like they could have a slayer on staff or somebody that's like, hey, back <laughs> off. All right. Look, we're just watching you make sure everyone's safe. You know, like some safety stuff, a doctor, like they just need to upgrade this facility to make it like a little bit more manageable rather than the, this. I mean, it's like there needs to be a guy there giving uh, the 
the people paying for it some orange juice and cookies afterwards. <laughs> and this demented worldview is also like what makes us think the drug dealers are stupid. The drug world's stupid. Like it's not. It's like a billion dollar industry. This is not <laughs> trillion. Who knows? Right. Like this. If this is what the drug war looked like, it'd be easy to, you know, fight drugs. Anyway, I'm annoyed by the scene, but I laughed out loud the whole time because, like, I know exactly. We know what's going to happen. We know Riley's going to get fried. You know, Buffy's pissed. Uh, and the payoff for the scene is so good in some ways, like emotionally super good. But it's such an empty. I, you can't do this now. You can't do this scene now, but people still do this scene, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. You couldn't do this scene then. <laughs> it's yeah, it's really rooted in ignorance and stereotypes. I was just just watching season two of the OA and they have a uh, it's the same metaphor, but it's about video games. They have a bunch of teenagers in an abandoned house, like all lying around in a circle on smartphones. And it's the same metaphor, but it is it is rooted in the same silliness. Uh, and during their big relationship fight, Riley is like, they need me, my blood, my body. I'm like, OK, calm down, Jesus Finn. <laughs> <laughs> it's giving me definite. <laughs> Like Catholic Church on Sunday. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, there's a bunch of mine in a row. Uh, so Xander has a, we got a, a new side of Xander today as the relationship counselor. Um, and as the seasons, the series is smooth talker uh, suddenly. Um, Do you buy that scene? I buy him as being the guy who can observe. Yeah, like because people don't pay attention to him, um, and like you know, Riley definitely told him at the beginning of the season, Buffy doesn't love me, so he's had like months now to think about that and to like, like figure out a thing to say to Buffy about it. You know, so I kind of buy it. I mean, I guess Xander has met Anarchy Riley and interacted with him like during that state of mind. Like he definitely has more like behind the scenes Riley than anyone else. I don't, it's frustrating because Xander at sometimes is like is very put together, mentally very mature, and then at the drop of the hat, he's like the most immature person on the show. Yeah, I do like him maturing a little, and like his thing with uh, Anya this episode also, like him being like, "I'm not like you're more than something I'm taking advantage of." Um, I, th- I found yeah, that. that's a great scene. No, emotionally, I love that scene. I just, I want more of Xander throughout the season. And when I saw that scene, I was, I felt like he was missing. And that goes to that Spike comment. Like, mm-hmm. All this wasted time with Spike for what? The same joke. And then like, I really want, I love this Xander. And I would love mm-hmm. well, to this see is, more. Yeah, this is like smooth Xander. It's well, it's here. like mature Xander that's can't yeah. take his own advice, which is very true to life. Uh, advice that you're not currently taking but you know is generally good advice it's very true to life yeah that's true <laughs> um so for me buffy running at night will always be one of my triggers and uh it's definitely if i always had to say if when i always think about like iconic moments of the show it's buffy running at night that are that are that will always be iconic to me for the show there's a lot of things that are right pretty iconic but for like a single scene or action, like that is to me the most iconic. Or Buffy at night doing fighting vampires. Yeah, that's pretty iconic. But like when There's Buffy's something running. something that like hits like an emotional thing for you, right? It's like, oh yeah, well season one, episode 12, 
Buffy running to uh, running after being killed, running back to the library to save her friends is like perfection. You know, to me, it's just like the most amazing part of the, that whole first season. And here, look at her. She's trying to run to save her, her boyfriend. So I loved it. Nice. All right. Let's do questions for the group. Questions for the group. Hey, so did Riley, okay, in this episode, did Riley issue an ultimatum? If so, can we call it the Riley ultimatum? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes, I had no idea that's where you were going with this this (laughs) joke. I mean, I guess it's a joke. I mean, it's clearly an ultimatum, but damn, like, either... I'm going to be here with you or I'm out in Belize. Probably going to die. <laughs> Do soldiers issue this ultimatum all the time? Like the soldier ultimatum, which I'm just going to call the Riley ultimatum, which is like, I'm going to go die on behalf of the greater good or we're together is crazy. It is. It's a great way to like not fix any relationship problems. <laughs> I was just shocked it came down to that. I mean, he got put into a corner a little bit by the way that he was, Buffy was super judgmental about his vampire stuff, and we didn't really get into it, right? But, you know, obviously, like, this story doesn't make a lot of sense, ultimately. <laughs> like, Riley got into some vampire drugs, duh, whatever it is. This show didn't really decide to go into what how great or bad that is, except, I mean, someone, I mean, Giles is really supportive. People are confused why Buffy is so angry. He like, oh, that seems like a great beneficial system. Destroyed. Uh, note in the intense judgments. But the ultimatum is a little bit of intense as a response. And I I'm, I don't know what I do in the Riley ultimatum. I think I, I hate ultimatums. And I think like I'm on Buffy's side, even though she kind of flips and decides she's going to go after Riley. But like I'm on, I just hate ultimatums. If someone's like, do this or I'm doing this. And also it's like, love me or I'm leaving is such a fucked up thing that people actually do to each other. Hate it. Yeah. And that I, that has got to be, that's a trigger for everybody watching the show. I'm sure it's just like, you know what? Fuck Riley. Yeah. Ultimatums are not a healthy thing to happen within a relationship. Right. Uh, uh, I'll move on to the next question. I, I just had to bring it up. It was it's such a trigger. Okay. And I brought this up also, but why is Spike still in the show? I mean, I want to disagree, but I, yeah. I think they accidentally wrote, like, too charming a vampire, and now they can't take him out. Uh, but I don't think the show even knows what to do with him. The, the short answer is that Joss Whedon really likes that character. Like, if you want to be, like, the practical aspect, why is that character still on the show? Joss Whedon really liked that character and really liked James Marsters. Yeah. And I can say why. I mean, like, he's an extremely charismatic uh, actor and he's uh, perfect for that role. Yeah, he's perfect for that role. But uh, yeah, on this watch, on this particular watch through, I am I'm with you. I'm 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 kind of done with Spike. And I think well, the fans really like him. I yeah, think the fans liked him then, and the fans right. love him now. And I and I was always Team Spike. You know, that's always been my take on it. Until watching this particular watch through and just all of his pervert stuff is like, why would I forgive that? Why why would I why would I be okay with this? Team Angel. I just, I feel like it short, it short changes the Scooby gang, which he's like also a part of. And 
you know, you don't feel it necessarily the absence of things so much. But in this episode, it really felt like the absence of Xander and Willow and even Tara. She's not even in this opening scene. And yet the show emotionally, like from family, right? It wanted us to feel like Tara's a part of this team. They don't have time for Tara. They don't have time for Tara, Tara's story. Because we are, we're in this weird Spike, Riley, you know, Buffy triangle situation. And like, I mean, obviously you can only have so many things going on. This show has too many characters. We love all of them. They're all wonderful actors. We want them to be successful in their careers, which is great. But like this show has, it has to make some decisions about who to cut. And we're cutting Riley now, which I'm fine with. But I'm, I'm now sad about because I'm starting to like Riley. I don't know why. Yeah, no, I've always said I liked, I like season five Riley. Like I hate season four Riley. But they, they bump up his interest once they like cut him loose from like having a motivating like thing in his life. People say they're recycling. They're not. <laughs> uh, yeah, speaking of Riley, Trev. Is, is Riley a once-in-a-lifetime guy, like Xander says? What do you think? Because that's a really, that's like a really dramatic statement. I mean, to, to say to your friend, they're a once-in-a-lifetime person. I mean, this is talking to someone who's died before. I mean, let's, let's be honest. I'm, I mean, I've seen Riley. I'm not sure that I would call. I mean, I'm not sure that it's fair to say anyone is a once in a lifetime guy, but I'm not sure Riley really is that once in a lifetime guy, to be quite honest. Yeah, I don't know if it's ever really a supportive thing to say to your friend that your partner yeah. is once in a lifetime, because as the friend, it's your job to say, you know, actually, you can move on. <laughs> I feel like that's more the friend role, right? Uh, and yeah, I agree. I think uh, I still feel like Buffy's too good for him. Yes. Like, I think she could do better. What is better for Buffy? And I know you know, because you know this show, but like, what would be better? Angel. Well, I don't know about all that. <laughs> I don't know about all that. How about somebody who's like age appropriate, not undead? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You but, know. but they need to be super powered to keep up with Buffy. They like, don't, though. I, 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 they, they don't. It's been proven. I don't think they Buffy do not. can date a human. I think she's like... They need I to mean, be just a good person who isn't insane. I think if Buffy did did previously need her partner to be super, if she ever needed that, which I think is debatable, I think arguably this experience may have gotten her over it. And I think that, like, you know, she might be ready to date somebody who's not superhuman. I think in her teenage years, yeah, she needed to date a superhero as well. I think she should date Spider-Man. <laughs> that would work. That would work. Yeah. Uh, but I do, like, I think this episode, Buffy says, like, that she's opened up to him in ways she hadn't with anybody else. And I, like, totally believe that because, like, as much as, like, the angel relationship is passionate, it's also, like, it was also, like, a immature teenage relationship. And they, like, literally couldn't be physical with each other. So there was, like, this big barrier to, like, physical intimacy, which is a barrier to emotional intimacy. Um, and somebody's going to at me on that, but... Um. Like, I don't know. So I believe that I believe that she thinks she was like as open with him as she is, is capable of. But like the evidence points the other way. Right. Because um, she's always also always going to be like the slayer and the slayer is alone. You know, she's always going to like be self-sustaining in a way. Uh, yeah. So I think they had a complicated <laughs> relationship. 
Oh, it's kind of interesting on TV. Do you know? Do you know who's age appropriate, super powered, and could be good for Buffy? Robocop. I was gonna say Faith. Yeah, Faith. Faith <laughs> is like the only one who really works. I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it almost works with Faith. Let's Except be she's honest. evil. I mean, you know, there's the whole evil thing. Although she's not evil at this point, right? She's kind of like coming back. Unclear. She's complicated. Yeah, she's she's serving penance. She's serving time, actually. <laughs> Good call. Good call. Uh, so I have a question just for Travis. Do you remember that we watched this episode when it aired in a hotel room in Indianapolis? Uh, I don't have any remember. I, I feel really sad that I don't have a specific memory of this event. I do. And I think it's the thing that triggered it that made me remember it was the spikes staking i remember yeah. us just being like oh <laughs> <laughs> really shocked oh this is like highlighting how like i used to be pro spike you know i've changed i've changed with my life I've, I've become more mature i don't know it's not a lot of episodes i have a really specific memory of um watching when it first aired but i remember this one on a side note that no one's going to care about except for us some of the best memories i have is watching season seven with dennis we watched it all together we binged it in one month time span. So it's true. Yeah. <laughs> Zen Vermont. I also watched watch? season seven with John because he. Yeah, was we watched it as, as they came out. Gosh, I really missed the transition from movies to television because like I was all about when John, when you were talking about going to see movies every like as they came out, like I was definitely there. I worked in movie theater. It was all about it. The transition to like good TV or whatever. Totally missed. Whiffed on it. I'm still whiffing. You're catching up now on this podcast. That's right. Oh, I'm caught. I'm caught up now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm no, you're not, because if you were caught up, we could listen to the Buffy musical like I've been dying to do. We're going to save that discussion for late 2020 or so. <laughs> Why don't we move on to themes and deep stuff? Deep stuff. Okay, uh, we talked we talked about this mostly, but talking about the depiction of uh, drug use in the show, um, with the allegory of it being a vampire in human interaction with, um, and that it, it follows a bunch of negative, very negative and out of date stereotypes about what drug use and addiction is, and it's, uh, Definitely should not be repeated <laughs> in future shows, but it's kind of like a time capsule show. Like this is definitely a time capsule event of, oh wow, how did how was this used to be addressed in uh, on mainstream television? I, um, I agree with you that the like the visual tropes are yes not great, but the uh, you know I I think that the show itself is sort of officially not on Buffy's side for torching the place. I think we're meant to find that to be you know shocking and crazy. And uh, Giles, you know, pretty much makes an argument for harm reduction in in the episode where he says, you know, maybe like you should be fighting a a less ambiguous evil. Uh, Maybe you should save your efforts for that. And so, like, I feel like uh, I feel like the episode actually is I I mean, I don't think it's the most progressive thing in the world, but um, at least it's uh, it's it's not on Buffy's side for uh, for taking a hard uh, arsonistic line on vampire addiction. I will. I think they got one detail right about the wrong, one detail wrong is that the humans would pay the vampires 
for this privilege, but it's the other way around in most in most shows the vampires pay the humans. But I think that they're trying to make a specific thing about like Riley's getting something from this. Exactly. Yeah. It's not just the vampires getting something. Humans get something from this drain and it's the need that Riley is experiencing, right? That he's not getting from Buffy. It, it really Dennis, you really that was it. You really nailed it. It's like needed. He needs to feel needed. For me, that was a trigger. Wow. Such an old, like a, a male, that's such like a male. I cheat on you because you, I didn't feel needed. I mean, <laughs> such a, it is. Such a cop, cop out. I mean, it just is crazy. His rationale is insane to Buffy about being needing, needing to feel needed and stuff. It's, it's so, it's so like an immature sex starved male. What's crazy is you believe it when you're watching it. Like it totally makes sense. And then like five minutes after you're like, wait, does that make sense? Like, cause I was emotionally taken through it and then you're right. I mean, like, ugh. yeah, but I think, I don't know. The, the thing is, the thing about their relationship, I feel like is that I don't think Riley is in any denial that he has like major problems and, 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 and that need working on. I think what he's saying is, yes, I have like, obviously I'm doing something that's, that's, that's pretty messed up, but I would like for this to be, you know, the subject of what we work on in the relationship. And Buffy, you have things that you need help with, and I would like for that to be the subject of what we work on in the relationship, but neither of us seem to be available for that to each other. So I, I, I don't know. I, I really don't think that they should try to stay together. Obviously, they don't. Uh, it works out <laughs> for the best, I think. But uh, I, I don't know. I don't really, I don't want to come down too hard on Riley for this, because I feel like he's doing something that is irrational that he knows is irrational. So to to beat up on him for being irrational seems redundant. Well, he tries to justify it. He doesn't say to Buffy, I'm sorry I cheated on you. That was crazy. He, he, he tries to justify his actions. Yeah, to some extent. I guess you're right. Definitely. That's a whole lot. They, I feel needed. They need my blood. My body. Right, but he's not describing uh, a my logical... Trans -Am. They needed my Trans Am to take them. He's not yep. describing a logical course of action uh, there. He's describing like an irrational feeling. And, it, you know, he's he's trying he's trying his best to explain his motivations, which is different than making an excuse, I think. Explaining your motivations is only useful. I mean, you don't explain like your good motivations. Like you never stop someone and be like, listen, I went to the food bank to donate this food because of this, 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 this. This is like, you know, it's kind of tone deaf. It's super misogynist. I mean, it's, it's, it, it is everything that, that you would expect it to be. All right. Yeah. Uh, do we have anything else with themes? Let's uh, move on to recommendations then. Recommendations. So I was thinking uh, monster junkie movies. Uh, so Ginger Snaps 2. How can you escape? It found me. With the evil. This is not good. This is so not supposed to be happening. He knows you're changing. <laughs> Lives in your veins. Ginger Snaps 1, the werewolf was a metaphor for, uh, like, uh, adolescence. Ginger Snaps 2, uh, trying to prevent becoming the werewolf becomes a metaphor for uh, uh, drug addiction. Um, Bridget, the survivor of the first movie, uh, goes into rehab for her uh, anti-werewolf serum. Um, it's good. It's not as good as the first one. But it's definitely interesting. If you're a fan of the first one, I definitely recommend it. Uh, and Habit, the 1995 movie. Sam! What is transpired? 
crazy. Let me tell you this, man. Habit. See it in a darkened theater. Which mixes uh, uh, the vampire with the junkie metaphor and also as a breakup film. Um, it's by uh, Michael Fassenden, uh, who is a really interesting, like, uh, horror, modern horror auteur. Uh, I like kind of all his movies. Windigo is probably his best, but Habit is his, like, low but real low budget, like, um, street take on this thing. Um, uh, and it's interesting. Um, and then I was also thinking every kind of big breakup in Buffy always seems to be referencing Casablanca. Casablanca, city of hope and despair. The meeting place of adventurers, fugitives, criminals, refugees, lured into this danger-swept oasis by the hope of escape to the Americas. But they're all trapped. Not only are we breaking up, but we're le- but I'm leaving town. But it's like the reverse. <laughs> it's like, uh, I just feel like they're always kind of pushing that, that like end scene of Casablanca. Uh, so we should acknowledge it. Especially this one where he takes off in the helicopter. He's like... Um, so those are my recs. Does anyone else have any good uh, breakup or junkie movies? What about MVP, Most Valuable Primate? <sighs> okay, that goes on the list. <laughs> uh, director John Landis has a rule of like, there's no such thing as a bad movie with a gorilla. <laughs> I think he's proven that wrong himself. <laughs> I mean, we mentioned, do we mention True Blood? I mean, we've talked about it before. I mean, it's a vampire have, show, yeah. but that, that really deals with the, the drug addiction that we're talking about here in more depth and it's more interesting than it is on the show. So yeah. I think like true blood's pretty rad though. It, I mean, season one, true blood. I don't, I can't speak for the rest of it. Yeah. Season one is pretty solid. When Buffy tries to do drug stories, it just reads like somebody who like took dare and then wrote a drug story. I, I want to see drug stories on angel, not Buffy. I feel like angel would have a funnier take on this, like a weirder take, man. This is like this is where Angel's becoming a better show for me because Angel's doing such crazier stuff. It's like cool. We'll just invent whole new characters, worlds, ideas, drop them in for our one idea, one-off story concept. Whereas Buffy is like still stuck with the same cast. You got no so idea they, how weird Angel can get, dude. You got <laughs> no idea. No so idea. <laughs> if you think it's weird now. <laughs> Speaking of things Michael has no idea about, why don't we move on to predictions? Virgin predictions. Okay, predictions. Uh, Michael, your current overall accuracy is at a 63.4%, and your accuracy here in season five only is at a higher 72.2%. So uh, let's take a look at some old predictions. Actually, a number of things that I want to talk about here. So uh, going back to doing the oldest ones first, season four, episode 21. This one I thought was interesting. You predicted former members of the initiative will form a support group. By getting back together in the army in a different branch of the government and uh, forming a monster squad, do you think that might constitute a support group? Uh it's definitely the opposite of a support group. <laughs> I'd, I'd call this one denied at this point. It's been so long. It's not. Trav- Travis, what do you think? I don't think it's a support group. Do you think you do you want to deny it? Because it's uh, at this point, the initiative's kind of done. Well, but we don't know if Riley's done on the show. True. 
I would leave it open. Okay, we'll leave that one open. So nothing, no, nothing happened so far. That seems absurd. I, it feels like a denial to me. But I okay. call it a denial. But I'm, I'm really trying to be less pushy with uh, predictions. Well, here's one that we can all agree on. Uh, Buffy season four, uh, our season four recap episode. Michael, you predicted that Riley and Buffy will break up in season five, and that has happened. They have broken up in season five. So that is a confirmation. Feels so good. That's because no one survives the Riley ultimatum. Uh, similarly, season five, episode three, you predicted Riley and Buffy break up this season. So that actually kind of counts double because you sort of predicted it twice. And we let you get away with it. We let you do it. Well, we've always allowed Michael to double down, uh, you know, because it would have hurt. It would have cut him twice if uh, they hadn't broken up. Oh, um, sorry. There's one right above that. Xander will attempt to become charismatic Xander. I feel like that happened this episode. Oh. oh, he was wise, Xander. Was he charismatic, Xander? He was charismatic as hell to Anya. Okay, okay. All right. Travis, what do you say? You want to confirm that one? He's, he's technically becoming more charismatic and more mature. Yeah, do you think that's sort of in response to his, his twin experience, which is kind of what's implied here? Yeah, I would say it's in, it has to be, yeah. All right, sure. We'll, we'll, we'll confirm <laughs> that one for you. Wow. All right. Wow. This is getting, this is looking good for you, Michael. You've got three confirmations so far. Okay. Uh, season five, episode three. This one might be more controversial. You predicted that Riley will break up with Buffy. Now, by laying down the ultimatum, did Riley break up with Buffy? Or by failing to make the chopper rendezvous on time, did Buffy break up with Riley? Who was the breakupper? Who was the breakup E? I mean, it, it was the Riley ultimatum. Yeah, we've defined this as the Riley ultimatum, I guess. Um. <laughs> so, Dennis, do you feel that sounds like you're saying that uh, Riley did, in fact, break up with Buffy and that this is a confirmation? Well, I well, think by Buffy rules of the guy who the person who does the breaking up leaves town. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, so, the, so the deal is he broke up with Buffy. But if Buffy wanted to get back together with him, he would have stayed. I think if you think about it like that. Right. Like he's like, I'm leaving. This is done. If you want to save it, we can get back together. It's a, you know, Buffy ran after the helicopter, which was like choosing, but he left anyway. If, True. But if she really wanted to, she, and I really, every time I watch this, I'm like, why doesn't she just jump? She's a slayer. <laughs> why doesn't she use her super <laughs> They're jump? They're pretty high in the air at that point. I'm just saying Angel could have done it. <laughs> okay. It sounds like we're going to go ahead and confirm this, that because of the ultimatum uh, that Riley was the one who broke up. This is pretty great. Okay. Season five, episode four, you predicted weak Riley isn't going to be enough for Buffy. Riley is right about saying that he's not going to be enough for her because presumably he's weak. He's not super powered. Is that confirmed here? What do you guys think about this? I, I feel like it's kind of not. I feel like that's not really what they broke up over. But um, I don't know what you guys think. Yeah, I agree. I think that's only. A minor part of their breaking up. Yeah. And there's only like more stuff that like is in uh, like spikes throwing at Riley than is the real stuff in his head, right? Yeah. So Travis, are you cool if we deny this one? It was not primarily. Well, I'm going to be in the minority here because I think Riley did almost all of his actions because he felt weak. He was motivated by the idea that he was too weak for Buffy for many, many episodes. And that drew that drove him to do a bunch of weird things. It was certainly an act of weakness going to the, the vampire brothel. No, no, no. Remember, he, he, he wants to be like super Riley, doesn't want to go to the doctor, right? right? Because he, he'll lose his superpower. But uh, if, what is it that he's not enough for 
Buffy. It's like he's not enough for himself, right? No, I think it was all. I think it was mostly for Buffy. Remember, then he's like obsessed with like how powerful Angel is, and right. No, that's that's fair, but it's 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 he's doing it to impress Buffy. But is it true that he's not enough for Buffy? Because that's how it's that's how it's worded. I mean, to be honest, Weak Riley wasn't enough for Buffy. She withdrew from him emotionally. Because he was weak or because he's boring? <laughs> well, he was always boring. <laughs> he also was. I well, don't know me, what to say to that. So to get back into like why I made this prediction, like I made the prediction about Weak Riley because I thought he was going to do something screwed up in order to become overpowered. Mm. Right. And like we saw it in the episode where, you know, he had to get checked in. Right. He was having these weird um, like whatever effects like from, you know, the initiative drugs that he was on. And I felt like he would have to do something to get more power. The weird compromise the show has is that he gets into drugs like this vampire drug thing that makes him feel needed, but doesn't make him more powerful. So it's like it's a weird compromise the show has around that because they set it up like he would have to get overpowered instead they like throw in this weird drug adjacent concept. So I think like the point was like weak Riley isn't enough and it, and it isn't enough for Buffy, but you know, I couldn't pre- this, the way the show went it is weirder than I anticipated. Uh, so like I can get like a ruling either way on this. Like I'm not. Okay. Uh, so this one I doesn't, guess it, I guess so we don't talk denied. about it forever. Let's do a quick uh, three way vote and we'll move on. Okay. All right. Uh, if this prediction is confirmed, say aye. If this can, aye. if this is, if this is denied, if this is denied, say nay. 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 I also, I also nay. Okay, it's denied. That's a unanimous denial. Season five, episode eight. Michael, you predicted Riley will tell Buffy that he got bit, but he won't tell her that he chose to go. As far as I know, this is denied because he never owned denied. up to any of it until he was busted. Yeah, you didn't know about the whole. I thought you that thought she would have spotted it. She like was all over his body and didn't notice this weird shit. Yeah, he had the giant like gauze on his arm and she didn't ask him about it. <laughs> she, she's checked out. She checked out, man. <laughs> she's not in that relationship anymore. You're right. Okay, so with uh, three confirmations and two denials, Michael, you have moved from a 63.4 to a 63.49 uh, in overall <laughs> in uh, overall accuracy. But for this season, you have dropped from a 72.2 to a 70. Uh, it'll, it'll be interesting, interesting to see if, if at the end, end of the season, season it, equals it equals the overall average, average you know? Indeed. Yeah, I mean, my, my Uri Geller, you know, prediction score is like, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Higher than 50 is great. <laughs> All okay, right, Michael, uh, any new predictions? I do. Uh, prediction one, we will get another candlelit romance scene. This show cannot help itself. TV can't help itself. I like them. It takes me back. Two, we aren't going to hear about what happened in Belize. I mean, Riley's going to return, but like, whatever happened in Belize is not important. It's like literally dressing. <laughs> it's a condiment. Uh, prediction three, Spike will survive through season seven. Is there clarity on this, right? Like, Spike's not going to be killed. Spike's not going to kill himself. Spike's going to survive through season seven. He could be killed in the comics. He could be killed 
whatever and some other i don't i guess the comics i mean he could be killed in the new whatever buffy but he's going to survive through season seven this show likes him alive period don't know why uh anya will wear a leather jacket (laughs) i'm doing this to john i don't know why it's cruel (laughs) i don't care how this one turns out she's wearing a leather jacket sometime between now and season seven (laughs) and then my super prediction I, I'm making this prediction because I want it to happen. We're going to see a flashback to Giles' Ripper days. I want that so bad. I think we all want that. And we know, I think someone has mentioned this, or maybe someone mentioned to me offline, that they were considering a Ripper TV show that they didn't make. True. I really, that could still happen. So I want to see a idea of what that show would be like in the form of a flashback. All right. Uh... I think that's the show. So uh, I've been Dennis St. John. I'm at D-E-N-I-S-C-O-M-I-X on Twitter. Uh, and uh, my books, Land of Many Monsters and Many More Monster Tales and Amelia, uh, a Monsters and Girls book, are available on the internet. Uh, and you can follow me wherever. I'm, if you search my name with one N, you'll find me, um, including on my Patreon, where I'm putting out new monster comics uh, kind of semi-weekly. All right. Well, thank you, one and all, for listening and talking to us at Buffy Virgin. You can visit our website, BuffyVirgin.com, for links to our blog, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, Reach out. We love to hear from you. And don't forget to rate and review us on the podcast listener of your choice. And we'll see you in hell. (laughs)